Thank you for listening in right now. Glad to have you here. My name is Nyla, and this is Greener Thoughts. I help you understand the environment today so you can experience a greener life. Let's connect online. You can reach Greener Thoughts by voice message. The anchor.fm link is in each episode's show notes. You can do so via the Anchor app or by email at greenerthoughtspodcast at gmail.com. Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in and listening right now. I want to start off the episode with the segment, of course, Headlines from the Hemispheres. Uh, all about news from headlines, you know, all across the globe here. But I wanted to just let you know that I couldn't release when I wanted to, um, you know, just from some hours back. Um, and so I wanted to make the most of the episode and get it out to you at my quickest time that I could. And there's so much packed in this, um, episode. I hope that you enjoy really are thinking deeper and doing more, um, especially in the climate that we're in right now. I want to jump into some of the headlines, of course, from all across the world. So we're going to jump into them now. Uh, The first is about uh, Gucci and its plans uh, concerning uh, when it's going to put out fashion. So Gucci says it will have only two fashion shows a year. And I found this via Chihugger.com. This story is straight out of Italy because that's where Gucci uh, is as far as its headquarters. It's an Italian brand, a mega brand, of course. You know, who doesn't know about the label, the brand Gucci? It's a major powerhouse in fashion, and it's one of the first major labels in fashion to actually agree to have fewer annual shows. So this Italian powerhouse, of course, is going to reduce its shows that it normally has um, and presents each year from about five to two. And the creative director of Gucci, uh, Alessandro Michel, he was a designer and he actually uh, has a quote, a really awesome quote. He says, quote, we will meet just twice a year to share the chapters of a new story. I would like to leave behind the paraphernalia of Lee motifs that colonized our prior world. Cruise, pre-fall, spring, summer, fall, winter. I think these are stale and underfed words, labels of an impersonal discourse that has lost its meaning, end quote. Another amazing um, brand that is French, a little bit different, uh, St. Laurent, um, has taken a a similar stance and they've been um, uh, opting for... um, Uh, Paris Fashion Week, but they're going to reshape um, how it is in the fall and they're going to, you know, take a step back. And again, um, um, St. Laurent is going to shape uh, how it's going to uh, uh, um, release its fashions uh, in the next calendar year or so. And they're trying to, you know, shift away from the norm. The next headline is out of Denmark, and so it's about uh, specifically the air. 
So traffic density, wind, and air stratification influence the concentrations of the air pollutant nitrogen dioxide. I checked out this on ENN.com, that's Environmental News Network. Again, this uh, news comes out of Denmark, and it really um, talked about the effects of the coronavirus and how it's it's changing how um, air pollutants are measured in the air, specifically nitrogen dioxide, and how there's been a dramatic, uh, um, dr- um, dramatic, <laughs> dramatic, dramatic, um, dramatic uh, decrease in China and in Northern Italy. In Germany, it's been great as well, um, uh, specifically uh, traffic densities. So the researchers, they went and evaluated data from uh, different stations all across um, uh, Saxony over a period of about four years. And they uh, found that uh, data that was cross-sectioned, all types of air pollution data from different stations, uh, traffic centers, urban areas, rural background uh, stations, and on the ridges of a a mountain that's pretty, I guess, well-known over there. And the study kind of demonstrated and was, they were focused on um, trying to show traffic density at all those different stations and places named and mentioned um, and then seeing how responsible those were for nitrogen oxide concentrations. Nitrogen ox- dioxide is um, pretty potent because it's an irritant and it attacks your respiratory tract and it causes inflammation um, and other uh, air pollutants that get into your body. It reacts not so well with them. And then lastly, I want to talk about this amazing news coming out of Portugal. So Portugal killed off uh, coal two years ahead of schedule. I checked this out on positive.news. It is, of course, the website and the magazine. You should check it out for more. This story, again, comes out of Portugal. And this is amazing because uh, Portugal is uh, shutting down its coal-fired power plants uh, by two years. So it's it's really, um, you know, going forward in that. And it's kind of leading the, the, the change as far as in Europe um, as it goes. So the country has already phased um, out or accelerated its phase out from 2030 to 2023. A lot of countries are phasing out coal by 2030 or having measures set by then and, and want to um, complete whatever measures that they, that they have for themselves environmentally by 2030. According to the group Europe Beyond Coal, Portugal is the third EU country to bring forward plans to close their coal-fired power plant stations in 2020. Austria and Sweden both have shut down their coal-fired power plants earlier within the year. Other countries that are expected to follow suit by the year 2025 are France, and they're set to do so by 2022, Slovakia by 2023, Portugal by, of course, 2023, which we talked about, the UK by uh, 2024, Ireland by 2025, and Italy also by 2025. I found the news uh, on what we're going to talk about uh, extremely important to discuss and bring to you all in the racial climate that we're in 
in the world and very much so in the U.S., we're talking about this topic more as we should, bringing it to the forefront and um, with the protests that have been happening uh, on top of the coronavirus, uh, it's been you know tragedy after tragedy. And what we're going to discuss are you know themes that are really sensitive, really uh, deep, entrenched, and really serious. I want to first introduce and, and talk about some of the more uh, prominent um, attacks, incidences, killings that have happened in the year, earlier within the year, um, and you know over the summer, and then we you know, talk about how the environmental movement has uh, reckoned with the recent deaths of so many and inclusion in environmental spaces and in, in, in organizations and how to make that better, how to change um, the the focus uh, and, and make it about people who are, are different than your mainstream or uh, majority populated groups. Um, for anyone who doesn't know, I'm going to talk about the um, the victims, those who were unfairly shot down, killed, you know, before their time. George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, Jacob Blake, countless others have um, died at the hands of an unfair system. Uh, I'm going to speak about this because there are people who may, of course, know about their stories, know a little bit about them, but may not know about what's currently happened uh, since their deaths. Um, and I'll just break it down a little bit um, because some people just, you know, hear about it in passing, but may not know the details. And I want you to feel and, and know their story. Uh, the first is uh, of George Floyd. He died at the hands of policeman Derek Chauvin. Now he's a former policeman. Uh, he knelt on Floyd's neck for 8 minutes and 46 seconds after he handcuffed Floyd uh, as he was lying face down on the pavement. This violent act occurred on May the 25th, 2020. The um, judge uh, currently, as what's been happening, an update on the case is that the judge dropped the third-degree char murder charge against the former officer, Derek Chauvin, in George Floyd's death, but the second-degree murder charge remains. Policemen shot down Breonna Taylor in her home on March 13, 2020, with her boyfriend while she slept. Um, he was uh, awoken. And the cops had a uh, and did a no-knock entry, and so they forced their way in, uh, and uh, there were uh, warrants um, tied to Brianna Taylor's ex-boyfriend, who's not even in the picture anymore, and she doesn't have any ties to. So they wrongfully entered her space, entered her home. Currently, what's been happening is that uh, one of the cops, uh, last name Hankinson. Uh, he fired, of course, or was one of the cops that fired blindly 10 rounds into her apartment, into her home that night. And two months after the shooting, Taylor's mom filed a wrongful death suit against all the officers involved. And the uh, amazing and pretty prominent um, civil rights attorney, Benjamin Crump, 
he was spearheading the challenge to um, get justice to the family. And so a suit was settled. And in that suit, the city of Louisville agreed to pay $12 million to Taylor's family and enact several police reforms. Ahmaud Arbery was shot and killed on February 23rd, 2020. Um, he was an unarmed black man, 25 years old. He was pursued, followed, shot while jogging near the city of Brunswick in Glynn County, Georgia, by a evil, racist, vile father and son duo. And their friend, William Roddy Bryan, the father, Gregory McMichael, the son, Travis McMichael, followed him on their pickup. They assumed that he was somehow a burglar within the area, and there's no evidence to prove that any any case. And the father uh, was, um, you know, saying racial epithets after he and his son had shot and killed Ahmaud Arbery. Currently, the father and son duo and William Roddy Bryant have been charged with malice murder and felony murder in the killing of Maud Arbery and have been denied bond. And then lastly, but of course not least of the, Jacob Blake killed on, or I should say seriously injured, but it's almost like his spirit in some ways were killed because of his injury sustained. 29-year-old man uh, injured by this uh, insanely crazed police officer, Rustin Chesky, in Kenosha, Wisconsin. That's where the riots um, broke out uh, in Kenosha, Wisconsin. You may have seen, especially those who live around or near Wisconsin. Chesky, he shot Blake seven times uh, as Blake was opening the driver's door to his SUV and was leaning into his own vehicle. He sustained major damage to his organs, had some parts removed, like his intestines, some parts of that removed, and has been paralyzed from the waist down by the incident. I, I do this podcast episode in honor of them. And their families. It's important that we, we talk about this issue, this huge issue of race in our country. And I wanna I wanna speak about environmental movements then and now. That's gonna be what we talk about because there are a few organizations that have come to grips with how their organization has been structured in the past, and they want to create solutions and, and better leadership positions for people who may not have gotten a chance otherwise, even before this year. Because this year, 2020, as of this recording, uh, is a powerful year. No, no other year tops what we've dealt with this year. The League of Conser- Conservation Voters, Earth Justice, which is the legal um, law arm of the Sierra Club, 350.org, and of course the Sierra Club, of which I'm a member, they've put out statements and changed things um, regarding the killing of those like 
George Floyd and have vowed to make change of racial justice. For um, some decades in the past, these um, green groups, these organizations have really tried to overcome their racist history, their racist roots, uh, or the founders um, of which they made the different um, green environmental organizations. They've, they've cultivated a movement and they've gotten the ball rolling. All these groups have gotten the ball rolling as far as changing what it looks like to even be in these organizations, to, to serve and to, to proudly be a member. Some of the early uh, starts of these organizations were from conservationists who were overtly racist, advocating and spreading white supremacy, and even supporting the use of eugenics. In the years 1960s, in the years of the 1960s and 1970s, uh, mainstream environmentalists within these groups were more focused on things like population growth and, and, and nothing else, um, or even controlling uh, population growth uh, of certain groups of people. But um, in those environmental groups, they also tended to focus on wildlife conservation, land conservation, which are important issues, but they've ignored and were ignoring the impacts of communities of color, disproportionate uh, on issues like air pollution, water security, extreme weather events, and overwhelmingly, not surprisingly, the leadership, staff, volunteers of the organizations, like the Sierra Club, um, green organizations, sure, green in color, but white in membership. And so how are these environmental organizations responding now? Let's look to what they're doing now. How are their identity politics of these organizations? How are they shifting? How are they um, being transformed now in the year 2020 and even forward, probably some years back. But how are they reckoning uh, with race now? What are they doing to change uh, and impact positively uh, those of which uh, uh, they, they serve in the communities that they do? They're made up of different types of people. They should cater. They should support. They should... Um, solve the issues of uh, the people in the places that they are. Well, we learned through this study that was pretty recent. It's an academic uh, journal. I've talked about it, PLOS One. Uh, and it uh, focused on many different NGOs, non-governmental organizations all across the globe, and looked at how they're moving towards things like climate politics and environmental justice. These organizations are pretty vast, but uh, there are some pretty promising statistics. So within each green organization, they um, had data and they added um, that about 11 people of color to their staff between uh, 2017 and 2019 on average. So this is you know, an increase in staff of color. Uh, and then senior staffers, those who've been there for a bit longer, they added on average two people of color to their upper ranks, which is saying something, but it's it's not enough, you know, in my opinion. But um, it added also, you know, women staff um, 
but that's been, you know, kind of unchanged over the past two year period. Doesn't mean it hasn't been an increase. It just hasn't been an increase within the years 2017 to 2019. But overall, people of color constitute close to 30% of organizational staff, and then women are about 64% um, of staff within green uh, organizations, environmental organizations. Uh, Black and Latinos, um, their uh, numbers in uh, those organizations haven't increased, um, though uh, they have... um, been trying to take measures into their own hands and specifically are trying to focus on environmental justice um, and fighting for specific issues of cleaner air, healthy um, access to you know different foods and fighting issues that are pretty um, unique to them, like police brutality and oppression that hits hard in communities that happen to be black and Latino communities, sometimes mixed communities, but more often than not, it's black and brown communities. I want to leave you with a few notable quotables from the heads or leaders of some of the environmental organizations we've mentioned in others. So, quote, when we say, I can't breathe, whether it is an officer with a knee on our neck or the pollution, which continues to take away our breath, that's why we march and that's why we work so hard to change these dynamics. End quote. That was a quote from Mustafa Santiago Ali, Ali, who is the Vice President of Environmental Justice at the National Wildlife Federation. And next is the quote um, from Fred Krupp, the President of the Environmental Defense Fund, EDF. Uh, quote, For too long, conservation and environmental movements have not spoken up to address the long-standing challenges that non-white communities face. Environmental organizations should work to bring down the barriers that affect black people of color and indigenous communities, end quote. Again, that was from Fred Krupp, the president of the Environmental Defense Fund. And then lastly, the quote from 350.org. Quote, there is no just recovery for climate without addressing the systemic extraction harm and violence towards black communities, end quote. To quote one of the leaders in the National Black Environmental Justice Network, NBEJN, quote, racism is baked into America's DNA, end quote. That is so true right now more than ever. It's time for the U.S. to have a racial reckoning. We must talk about the issue of race in the U.S. and we have to talk about it openly. I I love that we in the, in especially in the news and 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 social commentators and and podcast hosts and and those on TV and on YouTube and other media spaces and other places they're talking about it more and more. They're openly saying how we can and how we should dismantle white supremacy, how we can fight for equality, equity, more representation, um, and, and better communication just amongst all people. I, I, love, I love that that discourse is happening now. Um, I, I want that to happen all the time. 
I, I, I think that sometimes it's, it's easy to be worried about what someone may think of you or where the conversation may go, or you don't want to, uh, you don't want to, uh, rev up anyone's spirit or cause a fuss, but there needs to be a fuss. We can't, um, put the, the, the problems of today and of the past under the rug anymore. We have to talk about whatever issues on your mind about race or perceived bias or implicit bias or, or any ill feelings to have or just any ignorance that you even have even. You should call that out. And, and, and if you see it uh, in front of you, in front of strangers or your friends or, or family or at, the, at work, talk about it. I'm going to talk about that a little bit later, but we, we, can't, we can't go into spaces and, and think that everything's all hunky-dory, but the big elephant in the room is that we should talk about you know, how you, you make someone feel, how you, you do it uh, secretively or behind closed doors, and you're not addressing um, you know, the bigger issues because these, these things are taught. Racism is, is taught. It's, it's, it's so ingrained in the U.S. You know, you, you can't go too many other places and you don't feel the effects. It's worldwide. Sure, it's a problem worldwide. But in the U.S., it's a, it's a different breed of racism almost. Um, and that's the scary part. But uh, we can kill, you know, animals. We should be able to kill the animal of racism. You know, to squash white, white privilege and to break it down so that it doesn't build back up again. Um, there are so many different types of racism, and I love uh, mentioning every one of them because most people only think that racism is just one thing. No, it's a it's a system, and it's it's broken down into so many different uh, ways, and 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 its foundation is is rotted. But in it, you can figure out okay, how is this slice of racism? How is this being uh, formed right in front of my eyes? How can I dis- distinguish it? How can I see it, uh, get rid of it, you know, kill it where it stands? How can I not be on that side? How can I be anti-racist, which is a new term that is uh, gaining momentum uh, uh, ever since it's been, you know, coined. But there are so many different types of racism. So I'm going to break down all of them. And maybe if you have some uh, time to write it, this is the perfect time to do it. Um, no, not too many people will break down all the different forms of racism. So this is really, really um, important, especially because racism is such a, it's such a beast. The first is um, representational racism, which is about racial stereotypes and those you'll see in pop culture and in media. And so what that looks like is uh, how the rest of the world, uh, how you're seen to them. Uh, You'll see it in media through all its forms, through print media, online, and radio, um, you know, on on the TV uh, and and other forms. Uh, An example of it is in, in mascots and in sports entertainment. 
with the Cleveland Indians, the Atlanta Braves, and the former Washington Redskins or the um, Washington uh, football team, which is what they're known now as, as now and they have a different logo and everything. Um, another type of racism, number two, is ideological racism, which is built upon worldviews, beliefs, and is rooted really in racial stereotypes and biases. So you'll see this in describing of like women, for example, you know, the fiery or hot-tempered or spicy uh, hot Latina, um, or, you know, believing that black men are inherently criminals. You know, you could go on and on, but th this is really about stereotypes and what you think about a type of a person or a, an entire people group. Number three is decursive racism, which is expressed via uh, racial, racial slurs, hate speech, um, think cold words like uh, ghetto or thug or, you know, horrible names like even tar baby, for example. And that's a specific type of term, you know, for um, using as a, as a derogatory, disrespectful, mean term. For, you know, someone who's, you know, maybe black or someone who's, you know, deeper toned than you. I don't, I don't say darker, uh, darker skinned or anything deeper toned. I think that's more meaningful um, and more like appropriate um, and, and kind of getting way of the negative uh, connotations of, of, of dark and not in a positive sense. Because a lot of people, when they say, you know, darker skin, lighter skin, there's even hidden meanings uh, within the use of those terms. So someone saying tar baby is explicitly saying um, to another person that you have problems and, and have um, a, a problem with them and their skin tone specifically. And you're attacking them in that way. Number four is interactional racism, which is how we interact with each other. We interact with our sayings, with our, 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 with our body language, with our voices, with how we um, express each other, how we communicate. And so examples of that are um, varied, but you'll see it, you know, when you're crossing the street, maybe, and you see someone who's crossing the street from someone else, you know, fill in the blank, you know, man uh, that they're trying to get away from, and they perceive them as dangerous because of their skin color, which they have no uh, ability to change. And, you know, you'll see it, women who, or young girls, whomever, who are clutching their purses in an elevator. And them and, you know, maybe a man is, is are the only ones in the elevator. That's an example. Interacting, how we we interact with each other subtly. Um, hate crimes, though, are the most extreme form of this. Interactional racism is extremely distressing, stressful, um, because it gives you anxiety. You get, you know, all types of emotional harm, physical harm, and this happens to people of color, you know, black people, on a daily basis. Uh, institutional racism, number five, are about policies and laws that have been put into effect for a long time by society's institutions. Um, think in the healthcare system, banks, schools. Uh, for example, banks not affording mortgages or business loans to people of color or the stop and frisk uh, policy within New York, and also uh, funneling the funneling of black boys, young boys, into special education programs when they don't need it. 
and they're doing that because they're 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 playing as simple because they're black and because they're boys and they want to get rid of them and the quickest way to do that is in school um you know funneling them uh in special education programs where they know there's no way out number 6 is structural racism which has been uh, pretty historical and deeply entrenched into the fabric of a society through all types of different forms. Um, a, a way that you'll see it is something like, you know, racial segregation, you know, that, that happens in education, by wealth, color, whatever way, whatever um, characteristic that people are being segregated, you will see that classified, uh, classified um, example number one for structural racism. Uh, gentrification is another example of structural racism. Environmental pollution within certain communities that's that's di- direct and um, purposeful. That is another example of structural racism. And lastly, number seven is systemic racism. That is the ongoing historical representation um, that's been um, pretty much um, uh, permeated throughout all of society. So it's, it's so entrenched, it is in all parts of society whether it is the laws, the institutions, your belief systems, media, so many different parts that make up society and, and the moving wheels of it. So those are all the different forms of racism. Um, for me, I think that um, the history of any organiza- organization, especially an environmental one or maybe other ones too, they must be learned. You have to learn what the roots of an organization, where it comes from, are. Um, you have to study it. You have to to see how that organization has grown so you know where it can go, what it is doing, um, and, and how it's changed over time. That's why when I, when I went to Atlanta on the trip, the... Um, the uh, Equity for Change um, conference of the Sierra Club. I went there, and it really changed my view on the Sierra Club. And I'm glad you know, I met people from all over. Uh, you know, just a sea of color, sea of age groups, a sea of experiences and length in the Sierra Club. All these different environmentalists and and doing exercises and having really deep. Uh, mo- really deep um, mind exercises and group exercises to challenge uh, what it means to be, you know, me in the Sierra Club, what it means to um, interact with people who I I wouldn't have gotten to do so if I wasn't at that conference, probably. Um, I, I saw, you know, people from all over the Sierra Club and... You know, I learned to to shatter, you know, what I thought about what it means to um, be uh, 
what I thought would would be a good listener. I have to I have to break what it means to you know get out of my own head. You know, in terms of what people uh, experience and and how they they view um, you know being in an in an environmental organization and and. You know, they may feel, you know, angst or they may feel lonely or they may feel, you know, really passionate about issues. But I can't assume that they 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 know or have skills based on their ages. And I can't uh, experience what they've experienced being in the being in the Sierra Club. We're all learning and we all learn so many things while there. I can't experience um being in the Sierra Club for them, and I can't push them to to want to get outside of their comfort zones. But we all did that while there. Um, I have to, you know, go at their pace. Uh, I learned, you know, many things there. I still have, you know, some of the uh, packets and um, the info of like everyone there. I I had so much fun, and I I learned the history of the Sierra Club and 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 how it grew out of California and John Muir and all his folks and his. You know his his council of 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 leaders who he um, was around and sort of the origins of the Sierra Club and how they've manifested you know throughout the you know over a hundred and twenty five years of the Sierra Club. Um, I I think that um, with organizations, especially with ones that don't have a lot of color in them, people who you know you wouldn't normally serve, uh, keeping those spaces white or color lacking is going to do more harm in the future. Being at your workspaces, leisure, school, those are dangerous. Um, I I understand people want to keep their culture. They may, you know, want to keep those spaces, you know, secluded or private. But there are places in the U.S. where it's just completely whiteopia, which is a, a book. It's a social science book, uh, and it talks about how their communities in the U.S. and how they're nearly white or almost white or entirely white, and how they got to be that way, and that it was it was systematic of those communities being that way. You know, white flight is a real term. It's 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 used, um, and it, it characterize is characterized by communities where the the base the basin of the population, uh, whether it be mixed or majority white, or half white or portion white, is somehow driven out uh, by the influx of other communities uh, coming in by way of you know moving in by immigrants, uh, by uh, you know newer work opportunities that are there in the area, and so somehow the population of um, of of whites thinks that you know maybe their their homes are going to be devalued or their jobs are going to be taken or some other type of uh, phenomenon is going to happen so they leave that one community and they go to another one and and that's what white flight is and it takes away um you know some of the monies of that community um not not all the time you know when that happens communities go under but if it's not strong um, and, and economically strong by the people who are already who are there already, um, who are who are st- staying there, then there is a chance that it's going to be economically depressed and not really recover. Um, I've gotten some really great um, exposure 
uh, going to uh, universities, you know, traveling, working. I feel like that's that was one of the the the, the first times where um, I got exposed to people who didn't look like me, and that really will you know push you to go outside yourself to to learn so much about other people who are not like you. It's amazing. It's an amazing feeling. It's an amazing energy. It's it's beautiful to go out on adventures, to to try and push your boundaries and and push away closed-mindedness. I've never been closed-minded, but there are people who who never seen a black woman before, who've never left their state before, who've never left the country before. That's pretty scary to think about. That's alarming to think about. They're they're so in their bubble. Maybe they don't have the resources, but that's not an excuse, really. You know, there, if there's a will, there's a way. And you can leave your circumstances if you really want to. It may take some time. Just don't forget that this world is pretty big. It needs exploring. It needs you to explore. The last thing I want to talk about is... That I do want for the Sierra Club to change in the coming years, especially when it comes to leadership. I want for young people in their 20s, late 20s, like myself, um, those in their 30s, um, a little bit older, to experience uh, what it means to be a leader in the Sierra Club. We've already had elections and in some offices, and that's a, a pretty big, you know, honor for, you know, those who are reelected and to keep serving in those offices. Um, but we definitely need more diversity within, um, within education, abilities, able-bodied, um, those who may be disabled or, um, uh, you know, able-bodied, like I said, or people who are immigrants. We need more. We need, we need to have the, the floodgates open. And um, I really believe that that's what's going to happen uh, in more years to come within the Sierra Club and other environmental organizations. And I can't wait. I cannot wait to see what the, the future of the Sierra Club looks like uh, in meetings, in, in trips, in um, places where we uh, set up and do tabling events or tours. I want to be able to see um, just a, a, an amazing a diverse group of people that I wouldn't have, you know, been able to uh, see before, and all because of of what people wanted. They want change, and so the Sierra Club was able to, you know, meet that challenge. The Mother Earth Minute is where we review in the next few minutes proactive things that we can all do to combat the issues in the episode and to protect Mother Earth. The message for this episode is simply to unlearn some of the dangerous patterns of thinking and to to gain better ones, especially when we want to make our spaces, you know, greener. We can also make them more colorful um, and and make our places more open. Uh, When I say colorful, I mean having a, a diverse array of people who look nothing like you, have no experiences like you, have no upbringing like you, and you bring them to your group, whether this be work or play or um, you know travel, any other facet of your life. These are uh, things that you can simply do. Modes of thinking that will change 
your worldview, how you experience uh, your day to day, and you know they'll 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 open up you to people that are way more different than you. There are so many things that you can do um, to to shift what you think about them, how you uh, are just way more open than you would have thought of all because of how you change your thinking how you communicate with all these uh, different you know people that are so much more different but you may have some commonalities and that's what we're gonna you know kind of talk about Uh, one of the first tips and i really love this is and i practice this all the time and i love it It's, it's one of my favorite things um in in practicing um being more open and being uh, an extrovert and just being someone who is so um, uh, so open to change is to you know getting yourself out of your comfort zone you're you're getting to um, make more use of the different circles in your life make them more colorful you're 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 dating you are you know marrying you are uh, traveling adventuring with working with learning with, uh, networking with, exploring people who are different than you, different cultures, backgrounds, educational levels, your kids, if you have kids, or, you know, going on playdates with people who are, they're, they're same age, of course, but they're, they're totally different than them in other ways. This is the chance to not box yourself out, because this is a really important step, because you are focusing on the uh, breaking down of the other, you're breaking down the otherness of people because that's a, a term that we use when we, we're focusing on someone who's different than us and we're, we're almost um, excluding them um, because they not they aren't like us. But in this way, and you're, you're making your circles in your life, your work circle, your, your um, you know, travel circle, your organizational um, circle, your home circle, your family circle, all these places you're making them more colorful you're you're actively looking for ways to expand your circle other than who you know commonly you know you're looking for friends who you know maybe didn't grow up in um in the on the farms or the coldness of montana and you know people who are in illinois and they grew up um in, in their their um, suburban neighborhood and they're from India and they've been in the United States for about 10 years and they don't know anybody from India or they don't know anybody who lives in Montana and they're visiting uh, on a trip in on one of the you know ranches in on Mount Montana and you are trying to make them um, feel at home. You maybe are, you know, checking out what restaurants and food that they like, or you're going to maybe see a movie, or maybe you're, you know, on another uh, vacation, um, you know, after they visit the ranch, and you're maybe, you know, talking about vacation spots that you've um, gone to in the in previous years, and you're su- suggesting those to them. You know, you meet, um, and maybe you'll meet again on another, on, an, on another Um, vacation destination but you're connecting with somebody who uh, again is you know so much different than you you know there are some commonalities you know 
And you have to want to be able to expose yourself to that. Because there are people in this world who, who aren't um, exploring what options they have at their, at, at their feet. And, you know, they live their lives in small townness, and they could be traveling. They could, you know, meet their soulmate across the pond or, you know, in another part of the woods. But they wouldn't know because they're afraid of the unknown. So don't box yourself in. You know, date outside your comfort zone. Network with people you have no idea um, what they like if they'll like your company, if they think you're a good worker, if they have job skills that you know that you are a great fit with. You know, learn from people who can teach you some things, but you can also teach them. And number two is to make black people. Make people who aren't black, people who, who are of color, people who are diverse, diverse members of other organizations and, and companies and, and other groups, make those priorities within leadership positions, within upper management positions. Um, this is simply um, making the effort to even connect them with the opportunity. You may know someone who is pretty much an introvert, maybe new to working at the company, doesn't really speak to anybody, but is amazing when it comes to IT or marketing or research. And you should be able to, you know, see them and start up a conversation, you know, ask their name, you know, how long they've been with the company, in the industry, where are they from, and, you know, have some commonalities maybe that you'll, you'll talk to them about. Have lunch. Introduce them to colleagues. You know, uh, plan some 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 work projects together. Uh, see what they do outside of work. You know, and that's how it starts. That's how the ball gets rolling, and that's how you 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 build a partnership there. Maybe they'll feel more comfortable talking with you uh, in in work at lunch after work maybe, and they'll spring ideas your way. Next thing you know, if an opening comes up for a position, you've been at the company for five years and more, ten years maybe. And maybe, uh, you know, there's an opportunity for it, but you've advanced to um, the degree in the company that you want to, or maybe you're you're fine where you are. You know, maybe you've done a, a few promotions in the past, but you want to um, uh, pass the torch forward. Uh, let your, you know, friend, your work colleague, Juan, know about it, or Jamal, or... You know, Anna Marie, you know, let them know about this new opportunity. You know, maybe they don't have the connection that you do inside the company, but you know that they have promise. You've spoken with them and you feel like they're they're a great fit for the position. They prove themselves and you know them in and out of work and they wouldn't let you down and it would really it would really be a step up. You know, if they fit the criteria and they have the experience and you're both spending the time around each other, uh, why not? Uh, if the positions are even, you know, open to the public uh, within the company or, you know, there's hiring, you know, job opportunities for that, maybe within the organization, you know, the, the selection of candidates should be very much diverse. Um, I feel like that's a problem sometimes in, in the U.S. when it comes to companies and 
there's all these EEO clauses and and everyone's so um, so supportive or seemingly supportive of um, hiring people from every race, religion, creed, national origin, um, disability status, and or otherwise. And yet, that's not really reflected in the people of the workplace of the organization, of the company, of the corporation. So that's something, um, you know, that can change simply with uh, this tip. Uh, You also want to consider, you know, what does the work situation look like? Um, You know, does the company openly talk about things like diversity, like equity and inclusion? And how does the team even um, look at uh, in terms of diversity? Do they even talk about it or or diversify their teams enough if you're looking at that lens? And what does leadership um, look like currently? Is it diversified? If it's not, aim to diversify it. Uh, and does your company, does your team, do your colleagues amongst themselves talk about things like current events? Or do they just shy away from these? Number three is to challenge your family, friends, people that you work with, of course, on what they think and, and, and why they think the way that they do. I know it can be a challenge, especially with those who are a bit older. So uh, learn and reflect on, on, on why, you know, your grandma or great grandma, you know, maybe has the ideas that she does about, uh, you know, specific people or maybe she's she was raised in a different time so it was against her better nature to maybe act on what she wanted to maybe she wanted to date someone who who wasn't from her same um community or didn't look like her and maybe interracial dating for example wasn't at the time safe maybe um she wasn't able to do it or act on that, and she really wanted to, but she couldn't because of her family or because of um, the status quo at the time and in, in social behaviors at the time. But it's a new day, and you want to tell your family, you know, this is what I believe and why you believe this way. You know, ask questions. Use I statements. No accusatory tones, but this is where you're challenging, you know, why just why your family, your friends, your colleagues think the way that they do. Did they grow up this way? Were they influenced somehow? Did they read something that just set them off? Um, or, or were they um, influenced by maybe traveling somewhere? Or um, did they gain these perceptions and this way of thinking throughout time? Or just a collection of different uh, ways Right, the different sources. And then lastly is to, uh, one of my favorite things is to practice more open-mindedness in your everyday life. This looks a lot like having less barriers when it comes to communicating with people who are a bit different and understanding that you have to uh, first listen, have some compassion for them. They're going through you know, several things at one time, maybe that you're, you're totally not way up, that you have no um, similarities to. Maybe you're not worried about your immigration status. Maybe you're not worried about sending money back home to your parents. Maybe you um, have enough uh, uh, 
money and you're not worried about, you know, bounce checks or trying to work overtime to pay bills and you have money extra in the bank. And maybe they don't. Maybe they are worried about several different things and they all have to worry about that and and still try and put on a brave face for work. This is, you know, the time to have lunch with your new colleague and to talk with them, to, you know, try to make them feel at home and have their back and show some, uh, show some real um, compassion and show them the ropes, show them the ropes of, of what it means to be in your company, make them feel at home and, and not feel like an outsider. Don't other them. Don't, don't, don't make them feel excluded. Um, you wouldn't want that hap- to happen to you. And uh, in practicing open-mindedness, it makes you um, so much more human. You are you're studying what it means to, to be a better you. You're, you're improving your emotional intelligence. You are developing uh, s- certain and, and better social skills in interacting with people. And you're not being hostile, you're being patient, you are being a real champion for somebody who may really need that support. Maybe they're dealing with a lot at home and they, and they need someone who um, they wouldn't have met otherwise. That, that could be, you know, a stranger, this could be someone who's new at your at work, you know, someone who's maybe new to the family, maybe, the, you, you know, someone who just got married and they're going through a lot, but they need, you know, some support because it can be hard. Um, so I think all these, all these different uh, ways of, of practicing better um, ways of, uh, of being better and more open um, as a community in environmental spaces, in organizations and companies. This can transcend uh, into other spaces as well, but uh, I think these are really powerful in, um, you know, shaping what you want your organization to look like. There are other ones too, um, but these will definitely get you started um, so that you can can, uh, form better relationships in where you work, in where you live, in the communities that you serve, in school and in other places as well. The ego fact of the day is that the world's major ocean currents are migrating towards the poles by half a mile a year. That fact was sourced from the Sierra Club Sierra Magazine in the May-June 2020 issue. The Eco Company Spotlight is where we are right now on the program of Greener Thoughts. And this is really fun, where we get to talk about amazing environmental companies, those who have products, services, everything under the sun. Uh, and so I get to review several of them and I always have a fun fun time uh, bringing this information to you and you know I, I love that you know you all love it and you come back for more all the time 
I've been doing it for a while since February 2019 and it's it's one of the most fun times I have in the show because I, I bring this information uh, and, and explore uh, a new uh, food item or you know service or something that um, I've experienced before and I love it and I, I love sharing it with you and so one of the first uh, ones that we're going to talk about uh, here is about beef jerky and it comes from the righteous uh, felon jerky cartel or you'll hear me uh, say it as the righteous felon so they have an amazing story uh, back in 1996 is where it started and it all started uh, on the streets uh, when these little uh, crooks uh, these their, their team uh, started developing recipes uh, for snacks and one of them was of course for jerky and so it really became you know a hot item and it really uh, flooded the streets as they would say of Chester County Pennsylvania and it um, really cultivated itself back in uh, 2012 is where it first you know developed as a real company so their story uh, really is hilarious and it's probably a play on a lot of words with a lot of ups and downs and uh, you can learn so much about it on their website righteousfelon.com and you can also learn about the team and the founder Brandon uh, Colley uh, too and so it's, it's really cute their story. Um, and their product flavors are kind of descriptive, like to the max. I've never seen anything like it. It's a pun on so many words and just the essence of the products themselves. They're super jerky and it's ingenious what they've, um, made for themselves as their, uh, infamous turkey, uh, and jerky brand. Now, as far as their commitment to sustainability, the Righteous uh, Felon Jerky Cartel products are 100% all-natural, gluten-free, except uh, with their uh, Victorious B.I.G. and Bourbon Franklin flavors, which have the beer and uh, liquor extracts. They are, um, with their products, they are hormone and antibiotic-free. Uh, with their beef, uh, it's from uh, the Rosada beef, which is from a celebrated uh, local farm uh, that is a Black Angus farm, and it's located in Northern Maryland. So shout-outs to them for doing business in Maryland. And their products are handmade and produced in small batches and made and sourced in the U.S., and they don't have any curing agents in their jerkies. Uh, with their products, they have tons of uh, different uh, jerkies, including turkey jerky as well. They have their Baby Blues BBQ Beef Jerky, their Bourbon Franklin Beef Jerky, their Fowl Capone Turkey Jerky, their Maryland Monroe Beef Jerky, their OG Hickory Beef Jerky, their Habanero Escobar Beef Jerky, their R&D Black Garlic Bilton, their Truffalo Soldier Beef Jerky, their Victorious B.I.G. Beef Jerky, and their Voodoo Child uh, Beef Jerky. Now, I love uh, the Righteous Felon products because I tried the OG Hickory flavor uh, from Giant, and I think I bought another one too. And I love the names, first off. That's just in a class themselves. I've never... 
uh, seen a brand, much less a jerky brand, that has some of the most iconic uh, figures, maybe in pop culture, music, etc. And they've named them cleverly uh, within the different, you know, flavors of a jerky. That's just amazing. Um, I love that all the flavors are so uniquely themselves. They've got barbecue stuff, they've got garlic things, they've got something a little bit for everybody. They've got, you know, the hickory smoke, they've got the habanero flavor, those who love truffles, you know, you may love this, and those who love, you know, a lot of spice, this is the flavor brand for you. It's great because the packaging is about medium. You get a lot uh, within the beef jerky that you do get. And um, there are a few, I guess, cons. One of them just being that it's kind of hard to find. But if you like to order online, I would highly suggest that because uh, I couldn't find too many options of them being um, in stores. Um, so online is your best bet. And they are great for, you know, general snack time. I haven't really looked up or seen any jerky or, you know, turkey, uh, jerky type of recipes. But if you're more adventurous and you want to explore, then you can definitely make that um, a way to um, put in this uh, jerky into your next uh, meal. I would give it five out of five green thumbs up. Definitely uh, the packaging isn't necessarily recyclable, but it's probably uh, reusable in some way, pretty clean, uh, and the prices are unmatched. They are pretty uh, cheap for um, uh, their pricing, not quality, but for the pricing. It's basically, you know, bar none, some of the, the best um, that you can get for the price. And uh, they have really fabulous prices, uh, so many uh, different uh uh, low-cost ones every one of them is like under six dollars uh, for their packs and then they have uh, wholesale options as well so the righteous felon jerky cartel can be found in stores uh, and online uh, you can check them out at the righteous felon uh, com. they have their online shop and they have wholesale options you can check them out at uh, amazon.com and ebay.com giant and they're probably available at other stores if you look um, or ask the staff at any available store and especially grocery stores uh, the righteous felon jerky cartel can be found on uh, different social media platforms like on facebook at righteous felon jerky cartel on instagram they're at uh, righteous felon all lowercase one word they're at LinkedIn and Righteous Felon. They're on uh, Twitter at Righteous Felon. And on YouTube, you can contact the um, CEO, Brandon uh, Colley. To contact the Righteous Felon Jerky Cartel, head to the website righteousfelon.com and then go to contact at the top of their website to message them directly. Thank you for tuning in to this amazing podcast episode. I'm really glad that I, I took the time to uh, really dive into it. I know it's it's really uh, long, pretty impactful, uh, lots of different information in here, but I'm glad to have, have done it. Um, it was only a matter of time, and I did, I did mention before that I wanted to uh, specifically talk about um, environmental uh, justice issues and uh, race issues and George Floyd because of what happened, um, you know, in late May. So I figured uh, this was the time to talk about it. And I'm really, really happy and thankful that I did.
And I hope that this will open up conversations, actions, different mindsets, growth uh, for all of you who have been tuning and listening. If it touched you, if you feel like this could help someone who needs uh, this input, someone who needs to listen to this, uh, be sure to share it. You know, be sure to to remark on the episode. Um, maybe talk about it. You know, on social media, wherever you are. Um, you know, this is a great conversation starter. And uh, the conversation is ever evolving. And this is something, this is an issue that, um, you know, needs to be remedied, needs to be definitely um, at the forefront and and not forgotten about and not um, to to be died down um, and all. And so I I hope that this has changed your worldviews, opened up your a lens as far as what you've experienced um, and, and definitely in your workplaces, in your organizations, um, how you can uh, get um, yeah, different different selections of candidates uh, in front of your desk and, 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 and in back of your, of your desk. Um, people who, you, who can work within your company, you know, rise up, people who can change your, your company or change your organization um, and, and really be facilitators um, of what they want to see in the future, uh, especially when it comes to um, what it looks like. Um, I really uh, thank you again for tuning in, and I hopefully will um, you know push out a really great uh, other podcast episode in the near future. But until then, as always, please take care of yourselves and as well the planet. See ya.